Let me read from Acts verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 7 again. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After this, uh, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And Peter said, well, that was weird. And the disciples agreed. It was very, very, very weird. Uh, but John said, did not our Lord say, I am ascending to your father and our father? And Peter said, did he? And John said, yes, yes, he did. It's going to be in my book. And wow, Peter said, Jesus has literally been gone 10 seconds and you're already thinking about book deals. And John said, I'm going to write so that anyone who reads will believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing they may find life in his name. And Peter said, well, if you put it like that, I suppose that's fine. And the disciples continued to look gormlessly up into the sky where Jesus had just levitated before them. And two angels looking down, they wondered to themselves, these are the men that Jesus has chosen to take the gospel to all nations, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth? And they shouted down, hey, guys, you guys down there, why are you standing there looking at the sky like a bunch of lemons? Yes, you. Jesus, the one you just saw get taken up to heaven, he's going to come back in just the same way. And the disciples continued to look a little bit confused as they pondered what had just happened. That's um, comedian James Carey's imagining about how the disciples must have felt seeing Jesus literally levitate before them. Uh, and probably words we can understand. Maybe they, these are familiar words. Maybe we read Acts 1 before and we've not really struck about how odd the ascension of Jesus is in many ways. Um, doing a bit of reading about it this week, it's probably the, one of the most undertaught aspects of Jesus' life. And yet it's been described as the hinge which holds together Jesus' life on earth now. And then the climax of the majority of the apostles' teaching is also the ascension, which we're going to see in the book of Acts. Acts, a little introduction to Acts. You've seen it there, verse 1. Um, it's basically Luke part 2. The Gospel of Luke part 2, the same author, and he's continuing to write about Jesus. It's known as the Acts of the Apostles, but it's probably more accurate to say it's the Acts of Jesus Christ through the Spirit, as he continues to work it out through the church. And we're going to spend, I think, 11 weeks diving into this incredibly exciting book in the first, I think, 11, 12 chapters we're doing of Acts, and then we're going to pick up the second half of Acts probably next year. And we're going to see the fruit of Jesus' work, which you can read about in Luke, now explode across the whole world. And it starts in this odd way for the disciples. You see, after the cross, they would have been devastated. They would have been lost. They would have been confused. We see that. After the resurrection, that doom would have then turned to hope. But now as Jesus rises in a cloud before them, what are they to think? And what does this event, what does this ascension have to do with them having heard Jesus' final words of instruction? His final words of commission to the disciples? and through them to us as we read it now. Well, let's have a look at it. Firstly, let's see what Jesus says before he gets taken up to heaven. Notice the contents of what he says, this final speech, an important speech to disciples. Firstly, he tells them to wait for his gift, which in verse 14, we see them continue to do even after he's risen as they join together constantly in prayer. It's a theme throughout Acts, a constant depending on God in prayer. 
this gift, we're going to see a lot about him later, the Holy Spirit, key character in the book of Acts, key character in our lives now. Introduced here in the book of Acts, but eternally existing as part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, will be sent by Jesus as a gift. In John's Gospel, it says this of him. It says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And Jesus immediately then goes on to describe what the Spirit will help the apostles to do. It's probably the key verse in the whole book of Acts, or at least the preview of the book of Acts. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We're going to come back to that again and again, that verse. Now, we often ask questions, don't we, of God as to what we are to do. Maybe what job should I do? Um, Where should I live? What church should I go to? Lots of questions you maybe have. Uh, And now God definitely can deal in the specifics. Throughout history, there are many examples of him doing that. But he doesn't often deal in the specifics. But he still does really tell us what to do. And this verse would be a pretty good answer to the question, why does the church exist? Or, Or what are we as the church to do? Um, You've seen the graphics, Josh designed those, Mission Unstoppable. So let's, in true Mission Impossible style, spend the first 10 minutes outlining what the mission actually is. What is the mission? Verse 8, we're in verse 8 here. What is the mission? The mission is simply to be witnesses to Jesus. This is what the Spirit will help them to do, to witness to the powerful work of Jesus, to, to speak of him, to declare of him to many people around the world. It's another great commission from Jesus telling the apostles and through them to us what we're to do. That's what the mission is, quite simply, to be witnesses of Jesus. Where is the mission? Everywhere. This verse previews the whole book. We're in Jerusalem right now, as we're told in verse 12, and we're going to trace the Gospels. They expand to Judea, to Samaria, two provinces slightly further afield from Jerusalem. Then as we get into the books of Paul, we see it go even further, and then to the ends of the earth. And it's wonderfully encouraging just to stop at that point now, look back over 2,000 years and see how that has happened. The gospel has continued to spread outwards with Christians now all over the world, including here in Bicester, and to every part of it. As a church, as a people who follow Jesus, we're to be a missionary people, a people who go, as this commission tells us, who go to the ends of the earth, the, who go outside of our natural places, who go outside of a country even for some of us. We pray maybe that might be the case, that God may call some of you to global mission. But if not, then he's called each of us to go where we are, to our neighbours, even the ones we're less friendly with, to those who are like us and those who are not like us. We're called to go to the ends of the earth. That is where the mission is, to go everywhere. How are we to go about the mission? This is where it's really encouraging. Maybe that feels a bit daunting as you see that mission. You go, my goodness. But we're called to go only by the power of the Spirit. Um, I've been watching a lot of this guy recently, Postman Pat. He's changed a lot since I watched him as a kid. Um, And he really has the tools. As you'll see there, it's ridiculous. He has the tools to do any job they might throw at him in this little village. Uh, which amazingly, despite his incompetency, he continues to get asked to do. He should be fired, 
he should not be allowed to be a postman. Um, but in many ways, Pat then is a wonderful metaphor for us when it comes to going and being part of God's mission. Often incompetent. Always incompetent, really. I think that's generally the plot line. Pretty weak, regularly deserving to be fired, and yet he has all the tools he needs given to him. In Pat Casey, even as a helicopter, which seems to weave its way into every single episode. A little bit incompetent, has every single tool he needs to do his mission. For us, we're going to look at it throughout the book of Acts, we have the spirit given to us as we go. And that is why it's mission unstoppable, because it's God's mission, and he's given us all the tools we need to go. It's not our mission, it's God's mission. Today uh, is actually Pentecost, as my mother-in-law reminded me, uh, when she asked, why on earth are you not speaking about Pentecost today? Uh, And so this morning, in one of my readings, I came across this quote. It said, the Holy Spirit did not come for our entertainment or our excitement, but for our empowerment for evangelism. And we see here, as a direct result of the mission of Jesus, he sends the gift of the Spirit. Now notice down me, verse 14. Look at verse 14. Did anyone notice anything surprising in that verse? Langs is reminded me, it has to be a rhetorical question. Anything surprising in that verse? Well, we see Jesus' family are part of his followers now. The same family who mocked him, who rejected him, who slandered him. The family who Jesus said would really struggle to follow him are now following him. It's a little glimpse of a real encouragement there. Anyone can turn to follow Jesus because it's his mission done through his spirit. We goes, but he goes with us as the power. So this is our mission, to go and witness to Jesus under his authority and power. So one question, we're going to look at a little bit later in our sort of sixes, our cones. One question before we move on. How important is Acts 1 verse 8 to the way you look at your life, your purposes and your priorities? How important is Acts 1 verse 8 to the way you look at your life, your purposes and your priorities? Some ways a simple question, some ways a really big one. We'll leave some time to discuss a little bit later. So that's, that's the mission. That's the mission which is set out in Acts. I'm sure we'll come back to it again. Now to the ascension. A wonderful encouragement, I want to say, as we take part in this mission. Um, so here's the question. I asked it at work this week um, to see what people said. And there was a little bit of tumbleweed in the office when I asked this. How does Jesus' ascension help you today in our lives, in this mission that Jesus has given us? Um, when I asked this question on Tuesday, I didn't have an answer I feel I have a slightly better answer now as we look at God's word together. So firstly, when we look at the ascension, what is going on here? Jesus literally is visibly levitated up in a cloud, up into heaven before the disciples. Um, There's lots which could be said. Uh, As I said, there's not many books written about this. There's a few books written about this. Lots could be said, but primarily we're seeing here the coronation of Jesus, the glorification of Jesus as he enters heaven. As Jesus, the human man, rises up on a cloud, it signifies the Father's divine approval, his divine approval of all that he had done, that the work of the cross and the work of the resurrection was truly complete. That's what's happening there. But apart from that, how does it help us today? How does it help us in this mission today? How does it help the disciples because they must have been a bit confused. Jesus has just gone. He's given us this amazing mission. I mean, he's left them. So how would this help to them in any single way? Well, I think in five specific ways as we go to take part in his mission to all nations. Firstly, we go on this mission knowing that he will return. 
the ascension, you see the angels there, it confirms Jesus' return. He will return. The angels in verse 11 say that very, very clearly. Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Jesus will return. And he will return to judge and to usher in the new heaven and the new earth. And that gives an importance and an urgency to our mission. Jesus is coming back, so go and be a witness to him, the marvellous saving God who is coming back. Firstly, we go knowing he'll return. Secondly, we go under his authority. What is Jesus doing right now? Literally right now, what is he doing? Well, one thing he is definitely doing is sitting at the right hand of the Father in a position of honour and a position of authority. And he's sitting, signifying his work of salvation is done. But he still rules. We, we see that. We're not going to look at it in detail. We see that in the latter half of our reading as he guides the disciples through their prayers and their actions to choose Matthias. Mat- oh, I can't say it now as well. Matthias, let's say, as the important 12th disciple. He continues to rule the church. He leads the church. He is the head of the church, not us. He is the head of the church and he reigns. And as we go as witnesses to him, to speak to him, to live lives which honour him, as we love others radically, as we go under his authority, we go knowing that he reigns and he is Lord. So we go knowing he'll return. We go under his authority. Thirdly, we go with a secure identity. I don't think I've got these verses on screen, but I should have had. Colossians 3. Feel free to flick it on. Colossians 3, 1 to 4. says this. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. You see it again and again, a glorious truth, our, our union with Christ. We have been raised with Christ, we have died with Christ, we're hidden in Christ. When Christ appears, as the angel says he will, will we will appear with him in glory. Friends, if you're in Christ, if you've trusted in him, then your life is hidden in him. You have ascended. We have ascended. Just as you've died to sin and have been raised to new life, your identity now is an ascended person. In our union with him, all who believe in him have been taken up with him to the glory of God. We're seated with him in the heavenly places in some way, in the closest possible communion and union with Jesus, reigning with him even as we struggle and we suffer now. That's why we're going to sing. We're not going to sing. We're going to listen to John sing for us in a minute um, before the throne of God above when it says this, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the wrong within, upwards I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Upwards we look and see him there, but we're also there. And this, hopefully, is a real tonic, a real encouragement, a wonderful truth to us now. In the face of discouragement here, in the face of just, you know, life, everything about today kind of screams at that, doesn't it? What an encouragement to keep going and stay faithful to Jesus. What an encouragement to keep going, the essential mission of witnessing of Jesus to the world. Because our identity is secure in Christ, and we do not need to perform this, this mission isn't given us to earn our way. It's not given to us to, to sort of drum up some love from God for us. You do not need to earn his favour to earn his trust. Your life is hid 
on high with Christ. This is who we are today if we're in Christ. So if you're feeling down, remind yourself you have ascended. If you're feeling rubbish, you've ascended. Fighting ongoing sin, you have ascended. That doesn't belittle what this life now on earth looks like. But we have, the scripture's very clear, we've been raised with Christ. So set your hearts on things above. Remind ourselves again and again. Let's do that together as we encourage them to remind us of our identity, who we are in Christ. And let that transform how we live each day until he returns. So we go knowing he'll return. We go under his authority. We go with a secure identity. Fourthly, we go with Jesus cheering us on. What else is Jesus doing right now? He's sitting at the right hand, but Romans 8 tells us this. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is now at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? This is the marvellous thing about Jesus. His work is done, but he's serving us now even from heaven. As our heavenly high priest, he prays for us. He intercedes for us. The work of the cross is finished. He's not redoing that as he intercedes before the Father for us. What is he doing is he's applying it moment by moment to us. This is what... Jesus is now doing, it's described by Dane Ortland in Gentle and Lonely, if you've read it. He says this, he says, think of an older brother cheering on his younger brother in a race. Even if in that final stretch, the younger brother is well ahead and will certainly win the race. Does the older brother sit back quiet, complacently satisfied? Not at all. He's yelling at the top of his lungs, exclamations of encouragement, of affirmation, of celebration, of victory, of solidarity. He cannot be quieted. So this is with our own older brother. This is Jesus right now, right now for you. He's cheering us on. One way to think of Jesus' intercession is simply that right now, Jesus is praying for you. He gets ongoing sin. He gets this world. He lived in it. His humanity is so important here. The disciples physically saw him go. That was important. But what a consoling thought to know that Jesus is praying for us right now. This week, whatever goes on this week, he is praying for you, even if we're negligent in our own prayer life. Life tough. The mission seems impossible as opposed to unstoppable. Well, maybe just imagine Jesus praying aloud for you in the room next door. That would calm you, wouldn't it? Let it. Fifth, finally, we go with the greater gift of the Spirit. And we have lots more to come, lots more to talk about as we talk about the Spirit at Pentecost next week. But as we talk about the Ascension, let me briefly say this. We read it just now in a light, with Elijah and two kings. Um, the disciples would have known this, they would have known their scripture, would have known the Bibles possibly, or other people reading this would have done. They would have gone, when else in biblical history did a man levitate up to heaven? It's only happened once, as far as we know, Elijah and two kings. Now, Elijah promised Elisha, his disciple, a double portion of his spirit if he saw Elijah get taken up to heaven. We read that. And after he did, twice as many miracles by Elisha were recorded. Now, the apostles promised the Holy Spirit by Jesus. They see him. Jesus, uh, Luke deliberately tells us this. Luke's a man of detail. We know this. Deliberately says, we saw him ascend. He didn't just disappear. Jesus could just disappear, but it's important they saw him ascend. And then a few days later, and next week, we're going to see the Spirit of Jesus unleashed in power with consequences seen throughout Acts and rippling on today. The mission, Acts 1 verse 8, 
You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Bicester, Chesterton, Brackley, Banbury, even further away than all those places to the ends of the earth. The mission may seem scary, but Jesus has sent one who is greater to go with us. So friends, as we wait for Jesus to come back, we go knowing who Jesus is. He's reigning in heaven. He's cheering us on. We go knowing who we are. We're a people with a secure identity. We're being prayed for right now. We're a people who, like the praying disciples, are to be dependent. Because we know who we are. And then we know the power that we have. We have the Holy Spirit. He's with us every step of the way to witness to Jesus. With the disciples every step of the way in Acts, as we're going to see over the next few months. So let's be encouraged by Jesus' ascension. And let's apply it to us as we go through this week.